Blondes with glasses, they can't sing. Blondes with glasses, let's do this podcast thing. Hey, Shannon. Hi, Becca. It's 85 degrees in October. I know, we're both wearing tank tops. <laughs> what is this? Spoiler alert, there's nothing else on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, you mean below the belt or bra? Uh, both. both. I'm not wearing any pants. <laughs> That did not need to be said, and I apologize. Sorry, did you see the guy that was being interviewed in the locker room with football player, like, last week by ESPN, and he's wearing a suit and a tie, and then his teammate took an Instagram photo of him, and he's wearing just underwear? (laughs) (laughs) It was fantastic. He was really pulling off the look, I have to say. (laughs) It's great. So, as are you, I must say. Yeah. Very put together. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's crazy that it's this hot this late in October it is only a few more weeks left till the election less than three weeks at this point yeah to the election people have already voted people are already voting you can if you want go for it well if you live in a place where you're lucky enough to do that (laughs) to have early voting and if it's not a complete and total pain in the ass because they shut down because they only have one early voting place like I saw a video of uh, Atlanta, where they only opened in, like, the entire, like, county in, in the most populated county in, like, Georgia or whatever. They just opened one early voting place, so there were seven mm. hour long lines. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Crazy. It's, yeah. there's hurdles so, all over the place. <laughs> you skipped the debate last night. I did. We're recording this on Thursday, yeah. and we made a conscious decision not to watch it because we watched the other two. I had to turn off the vice presidential debate like almost immediately (laughs) when I started watching that one. So I was like, I know who I'm voting for. I definitely don't need that toxicity in my life. And we just watched stuff on Netflix instead. And it was the, oh, actually, no, we watched Great British Bake Off instead, which was the nicest feeling. (laughs) I just had a little, I had Reese's peanut butter cups and I was watching the most perfect show on television and I felt so good about myself. It was (laughs) such a boost to my confidence and my (laughs) (laughs) self-worth. Well, the, I, the national team, the women's national team had a game starting mm-hmm. at the exact same time as the debate. So I said, I'll watch that, and then I'll click over the debate every so often. And the debate started off really boring, and the game started off really boring. No. <laughs> and so I kept switching between the two, being like, neither one of these are holding my interest. And then I guess I saw more of the debate. I got I saw all the big moments that everyone's talking about. Yeah. That I, are The horrifying. one thing I did see where I was like, Boy, I think I would have been really into that was Stephen Colbert did, he had a quartet do a live soundtrack to the debate. (laughs) Did you see that? Yeah. There was like the violinists and some cellists and they were just making up the score as they went. And I was like, this is pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No. My favorite thing is at the end of every debate is Hillary Clinton goes basically to the crowd uh-huh. She's shaking hands, she's smiling, she's Crowd taking surfing. selfies, people are <laughs> lining up to talk to her, she's just glad-handing, she's like a consummate politician, mm-hmm. she's so charming, and then Donald Trump, he greets his family, he maybe shakes hands with like two people that aren't his family, and then he leaves the building <laughs> promptly, Yep. and every single debate he's done this, or he just mm-hmm. pieces out, and Hillary's still like, hey, nice to meet you, you want to vote for me? You know, like, sort of thing. <laughs> like, Ted Danson was there, like, being like, hey, Hillary, like, big fan. <laughs> yeah, I went to sleep before I got your text where you're like, Hillary hugging Ted Danson, and I woke up this morning, and I read it, and I was like, what? 
Mm. that was I feel like I I thought you were talking about The Good Place I thought it was like The Good Place had aired last night and you were watching it and she had a cameo in it for some reason or something I was like what is happening that's not on until today (laughs) so um well yeah so we both watched the PBS documentary The Choice we did and you wanted to talk to me about that so yeah. talk to me about that. <laughs> well, I kind of wanted to hear what you thought. Like, what what were your like takeaways? Like, did it did you gain anything from seeing it? Because I feel I like did. I did. I definitely did. I came out of that. Okay, so the day I watched that was the same day Kyle had talked to his mom, and she was like, "I can't vote for Hillary Hillary Clinton. I'm thinking about voting for Donald Trump." And so we were both like running around the house freaking out like how do we change her mind and I was like when he was at work I was like I'll watch this documentary see if it's getting good because PBS is very balanced that's the whole thing about Mm -hmm. PBS so maybe this will be something I'll recommend to her and she might watch this and after watching it I was like I would never recommend this to somebody that's on the fence because it made it worse like me as somebody who is definitely going to be voting for Hillary Clinton at the end of that documentary I was like well I guess Donald Trump has some good points <laughs> like highlights what? yeah i couldn't i walked it. away with the exact opposite <laughs> experience <laughs> no it wasn't like his platform has good points or he is a good person or anything like that i was specifically like there's a lot of stuff in his life story that i never knew never heard of before it definitely covered new territory for me. Yeah. I was like, I see how he is the person he is right. today. I think that's what it did for both of them, was it may, it it helped you re- figure out how they got to where they are today, what made them who they are today. Mm-hmm. But at the end, I personally came to the conclusion, like, oh, that explains why he's so terrible and how he became so yes. terrible. Yeah, and I, I guess I feel that way too. <laughs> <laughs> I was I guess I was looking at it from a perspective of if I were an undecided voter and I was watching this would it help me pick Hillary? And right. that is not the conclusion I came to. It I came to the conclusion where I was like this is really balanced and I could see if you were leaning towards Donald Trump it could help you decide on Donald Trump. Wow. Does that make sense? God, I guess it for me it completely reaffirmed and increased my love of Hillary because Definitely. You see this woman who has been, unfortunately, strapped to this loser (laughs) almost her entire adult life. You're talking about Bill Clinton. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Basically, what we learned the whole time is she... Sacrificed. She sacrificed. And she should have been in the public... She should have been... Had his job every step Mm -hmm. of the way. And he got though he he got his turn first ahead of her purely because he was a man yes and it was the 70s you know and 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 so you just see this woman and it's just like at least he's behind her you know like at least that what they are is a political partnership you Mm -hmm. know like and so when you see people like when you see donald trying to pull out you know all this bad stuff about bill clinton it's like oh she knows yeah. You know, like, that doesn't, it's not going to rattle her. Like, she's not, 
this is not what like this is not the marriage you think it is you mm-hmm. know like this isn't that hollywood romance where love conquers all or whatever it's a true partnership and yeah. a lot of compromises had to be made and she is the toughest person for going through all of this garbage and mm-hmm. just saying i'll wait i'll wait i'll wait yeah you know? she's definitely the most patient person <laughs> in america i'm pretty sure yeah i, I would say so <laughs> and I, I also love that they interviewed some of her classmates from wellesley and they all the classmates were like we couldn't believe it we couldn't believe she was moving to arkansas and she was giving <laughs> up her life in washington like she had already served on the watergate trial and right. stuff like she had a trajectory looking like that was looking so amazing and then she was just like i'm gonna go be a wife in arkansas and they were horrified yeah yeah. it's like that's exactly how smithies would react if you had a (laughs) classmate that was like that even today you'd still be like that like no you you belong in dc girl like go to dc yeah (laughs) And, and it sort of makes you wonder what would her path looks like if she hadn't married bill if she hadn't you know made a life with bill you know it's very interesting it's very fascinating um, i watched that tv show forget timeless i want to see that <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah uh, so yeah. i thought it was a very effective documentary i'm surprised that you saw you saw it as as a net positive for trump i think it's only maybe because... i am just really biased against him i think you are but to me <laughs> i just it just highlighted like how if he's terrible now this is how he got there it's Mm -hmm. it doesn't say like he's okay he's had some stumbles you know it's like no he's he was raised by a terrible person yeah (laughs) surrounded himself with terrible people and treated people terribly yeah i think they did the best job possible with the source material like he it was not positive or negative i think it was a true Mm-hmm. documentary in the way that it was just like here are the facts and they highlighted some positives that I had not seen before because I only follow Hillary on Twitter and I follow a lot of very liberal people on Twitter so I'm not seeing stuff like from the other side saying like oh yeah well they keep mentioning all this stuff but what about this stuff and like of course at the end of the day I still would never ever 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 vote for him mm-hmm. but I can see how somebody that is a dyed in the wool Republican can watch that documentary and be like yeah, he deserves my vote. Like, it's not his fault. He was raised by a terrible father. You know, like, there's there's a lot of mm. stuff packed in that that we are looking at Hillary with the same eyes that they are looking at Trump. Does right. that make sense? I just thought what it did was it, it put the two in the stark contrast. It, sh- it showed you because they're born basically the same. It's like, what, two years apart? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like in New York or whatever. And so... It's like they each made these choices in their life. And, and then it's what, it's what Hillary said during the debate and it's what her website was doing where it's comparing where you were in these two yeah. years. And it was saying, you know, here when he was trying so hard with this ridiculous casino that was failing or whatever, she was fighting for children. You know, mm-hmm. she was fighting against discrimination. And then it's just sort of like, and so by the end of it, you're like, his story is interesting, but the fact that it leads to a presidential nomination mm-hmm. is so it doesn't make any sense compared to hers you're like okay yes lifetime of public service right <laughs> leads you know a politician leads to that whereas his story starts off with 
him at the White House Correspondents' Dinner getting shit on by President Obama, getting Amazing. made fun of, and then a lot oh, of people God. saying that's the catalyst for him becoming president, yeah. is him saying, I will not be slighted. You know, right. I will not be, you know, insulted this way. And that's how a candidacy is born. It was fascinating. And so you have these two stark contrasts, and I just feel like at the end of the day, you end up being like, yeah, he is a joke. Yeah. <laughs> he I, is, I, it, I think... is, it is all built on, you know, straw. It's just all... Yeah. I think that that's the sign of a good documentary, is that it, it really not only sold me on my own position, but opened my eyes a little bit to maybe how other Americans are feeling Mm -hmm. and also had a lot of insight into things that are not talked about on something like CNN or Fox News you know like we watch CBS uh, the morning show on CBS every morning and there's they always have Pence on or today they had on um, Tim Kaine and it was like they're talking they're saying the same words over and over again that's Mm -hmm. part of politics is they're just rehashing what we already know and to go into political documentary that I think the whole point of that documentary was like basically what they said in the last minute of it is like you America have to make a choice between these two candidates Mm -hmm. so do it on election day (laughs) and I was like they fully delivered on their on what they were trying to do with that documentary and I think it was really successful and I Mm -hmm. was, was so impressed that they were able to make it so I don't know genuine in a way it was it just was Mm -hmm. I loved what they did with the Hillary stuff as well. Like, I, I'm, I'm voting for her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't have to sell me that hard, but they did a great job, and I learned a lot despite yeah. that. So. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a great historical document to, mm-hmm. you know, figure mm-hmm. out. And, and basically, my favorite documentaries are always going to be the ones where it takes whatever event or person or whatever they're talking about and puts it in historical and social context. You know, mm-hmm. like, that five-part OJ documentary, that 30 for 30 I watched, Yeah, and it really places him, you know, and his actions and his crimes and all that, it puts it all into this, you know, let me, let us explain to you, you know, how, not how the crime came to be necessarily, but, like, how he came to be the celebrity that he was and, and, and what that meant in this culture at this time, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it works as a time capsule, not just be like... And then this guy became famous. And it's like, well, there's a million other, you know, things that go into that. Right. Well, this all comes on the heels of us basically binging a whole bunch of documentaries. Is that Mm -hmm. the correct way to say it? So we were like, let's talk about some documentaries because we've done like, we've talked about the jinx and making a murderer before, but we've never really sat down and talked about like what you look for in a documentary, what we like in documentaries and we just watched together when we were at your apartment, the Amanda Knox documentary, mm-hmm. and we still haven't talked about that. So yeah, I, I want to talk to you about all of this and we're not just going to recommend stuff because obviously we could do that. We watched a million documentaries, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but more... to, this is my, these are my notes. These are oh. all the documentaries <laughs> I've tried to categorize. Nice. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to sneeze. Maybe not. Okay. But nope, I'm good. <laughs> The Amanda Knox documentary was great and and a good example of how to do true crime right, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, it it felt <laughs> I told you, you. <laughs> felt fairly <laughs> even handed mm-hmm. to the point where I I know that there are still some people out there who are like, oh, she did it. But for the <laughs> most part, once you're presented all of the evidence, 
you come to one conclusion right. and that's fun <laughs> yeah that's that's fun with documentaries it's it's really nice it's i i there is definitely value you want to be even-handed you want to show both sides of the story but at the end of the day the best documentaries have a point of view i would say and they have a, a conclusion you know mm-hmm. because otherwise you reach the end of it and you say okay like what did I get from that? You know, what, what am I supposed to do now? What what am I supposed to do with this information? Am I just sad and angry or did you just take an issue and really make it so complicated that I now no longer know what to think, which is, that has value too. Mm -hmm. But I think what I I tend to get the most enjoyment out of is, are they making an argument, you know? Right. Well, so we studied documentaries at length in my course, my master's course, because we did a radio documentary and a film documentary. So we we were studying the actual six categories of documentaries. So there's a specifically a documentary theorist named Bill Nichols and he has in like the 90s he came up with six different types of documentaries. Oh. And I wish not, I had known that when I was writing this down because it was a real mess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm interested to know how you divided them up because I understand where you're coming from about Every one, every good one will have a point of view, and I believe that's true. But there is, there are a couple categories in his list that are really odd, and I think sometimes benefit by not having a point of view, which I think we can get into. But right? Yeah, I'm sure that's so totally true. Yeah. Do you want to tell me yours? Just makes more compelling. Basically, it was a mess. It was like sports, okay, <laughs> easy okay. enough. True crime, easy enough. Mm-hmm. But then it was like social documentaries and then Mm. but then it was like well what does that mean exactly and then there's like the expose investigation documentary where you're taking something and really investigating but that could also be a social documentary you could be (laughs) investigating a social issue there's biographical which that seems you know you're just following one person and then I was like historical but then Mm -hmm. that also lapsed with true crime and investigatory and social and biographical you know mm-hmm. it, it was just they all started melding into each other so yeah. it was a bit well, of a mess his doc- his list of documentaries is not really about the topic which i think is what you were focusing yeah. on but in- instead the way they are filmed so uh-huh. his are poetic expository observational or fly on the wall participatory, reflexive, and performative. Mm. So poetic is the first one because that one is the first one that sort of existed, which was in the 1920s. Um, And it was all about giving you a feeling rather than telling you a story. So this is one I would say where there's no point of view really Mm -hmm. in this. So the modern equivalent of this is like slow TV, the stuff that is on Netflix now where it's just showing you a boat passage through Yeah, it's just Norway. documenting something. Yeah, it's just, and you're just watching it and perhaps getting a feeling from it. A more, a, a better example is um, Samsara, which is a wordless documentary, and it's just different visuals across the entire world. And so you see, like, a butcher shop or, you know, flowers being planted or whatever, and it's just visuals. And so... There's not really a point of view. I mean, of course, the camera is a point of view, but mm-hmm. they're not trying to instruct you how to feel about these images. Yeah. Um, expository is when the the documentary is speaking directly to you as a viewer. So that's like 
most of the ones that are on Netflix that we enjoy, I think. So, you know, America's Most Wanted or David Attenborough documentaries where it's you are listening to the voice of God telling you, you know, Morgan Freeman saying this is the March of the Penguins through yeah, Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that's a lot of them nowadays. Um, observational fly-on-the-wall documentaries are, I think, few and far between now because they're... It's it's hard to edit them because yeah. it's real. It is really just simple real life happening, and it's the cameras are not supposed to be involved in any way. Yeah, and the most effective ones are the ones where they don't know they're being filmed. Mm-hmm. So, but the most obvious examples of this are like Survivor and Big Brother on TV. Because <laughs> I was gonna say Jesus Camp is is there's no there's no narrator. There's no. Do they not. know they're being filmed? Yeah. Okay. Huh. I haven't seen Jesus Camp. But I mean, I have heard Survivor and Big Brother, they know they're being filmed. Right. But they're... <laughs> if, but... They, if they don't know they're being filmed, then is it really a documentary? I mean, is that legal? <laughs> like, you have to it's not get... really ethical. Right. You have until to you get, get their... people to sign consent forms. But there yeah. have been short documentaries where they film in prisons and stuff to just see a day in the life of a prison. And so you're not really you're not interviewing the prisoners you're not you know specifically identifying one person you're just seeing how yeah. the people in prison go about their daily life so, except it's not like they're not going to see the camera i i feel like it's impossible to not know you're being filmed unless it it's like hard. a prank show yeah man <laughs> it's a complicated one that, that's why there aren't a lot of good examples of that one i would mm-hmm. say that are really well known because it's really hard to make a watchable narrative out of a documentary like that, I would say, because yeah. we are so used to watching feature films, and part of the thing of documentaries is that you want them in a way to be just as close to a feature film as possible because it gives you that feeling, the satisfied feeling at the end. Like I watched an yeah. arc, I watched yeah. something, and I feel good or bad at the end. Like, but if you're just watching people going about their life, like that's that can be really boring. Like, that's what Big Brother is going through right now. Like, they're doing a whole online series where you can just watch live. And it's like, you're just watching people in the house. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Don't you feel the, gross doing that? What? Do you feel gross? Yeah. I mean, I don't watch the live streams. I watch, they have a edited show they do yeah. once a week. But I, I don't think you feel gross if you, they know you're watching them. And you know you're watching them. And they know that. It's like a very <laughs> cyclical sort of thing. <laughs> um, the next one is participatory, which is definitely the most common. Which like is Werner Herzog is a big fan of. <laughs> right. So I, I hate it's... his documentaries. You do? <laughs> yeah. I, I, he's... No. Well, they're they so also... long. Yes, <laughs> they are long. With the wrong they opinions. They also are specifically made with the opinion that it's impossible, as you were saying, it's impossible in the act of filmmaking to not influence the events of your film. Yeah. So this is specifically very well seen in the jinx. Yeah. You know? So, like, the jinx starts off because the filmmaker feels an obligation to film it, and then, you know, as the course of the series goes on, it becomes more obvious that he is changing the course of this man's life by making this documentary. Yeah. And I also think Dear Zachary fits into that. Yeah, Um, I I was going to say that. Yeah. And then the next one is reflexive, so that's where it prompts the viewers to question the authenticity of a documentary. So mm. there's not a lot of these, but Ugh. I think my, 
there was Mike, Michael Moore one. is a good one for um, that, and Louis Thoreau because they sort of in they enter the scene and say, "Are we seeing reality right now?" Or there's another really good one that I haven't seen, which is called Stories We Tell, uh-huh. which was is on everybody's list as like the best example of reflexive, but I've never seen it, so I can't really speak to it. There's one. I think it's called The Institute, where mm-hmm. it like it's it's so frustrating as a documentary because you feel like it, you think it's like uncovering, it's trying to find the the answer to what is this weird thing that is happening in San Francisco at this time? Like there's this you know thing like it's like a scavenger hunt or whatever. Like and you're like who's running it? Whatever. And it's like this mystery, and at the end it sort of revealed like the the film was the scavenger hunt like yeah. a bit like institute or whatever and it was like the thing but it was like also nothing and it was also like you know going nowhere it was just sort of like you didn't know at the end of it like who who was it who made this documentary mm-hmm. and were they really investigating anything or were they really advertising <laughs> this thing I, yeah i wonder if that's similar to exit through the gift shop i love that is, movie it's a great documentary and i think it does call into question like the authenticity of art, for sure. Yeah, I, and, I really want to watch that again because I, I think that's a good one to recommend to everyone mm-hmm. is Exit to the Gift Shop. Yeah, it's the last one on the list is Performative, which is um, usually revolves around um, underrepresented groups in documentaries. So Paris is Burning is a really good example of this one. So it's mm-hmm. like making the viewer step into the shoes of somebody who they would never in their life you know, identify with. So, um, this also includes documentaries that have performance somehow Mm -hmm. involved. So an inconvenient truth would also fall in here because Al Gore was performing that entire documentary and there were, you know, animated features within the documentary and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So those are the six that are accepted in, you know, theory, documentary theory. But of course, you, there are so many, especially now where they're, you, you know, 30 for 30 is TV based and, you know, people are inventing new ways to sort of look at documentary features and shorts and stuff. So yeah. I don't think they really hold up as much anymore, but I think they are important. So you can sort of say, is this documentary accurate? Is it mm-hmm. reflecting what I want or what is the truth you know yeah. there's a lot there's a lot of complicated questions when you're watching a documentary mm-hmm. for sure so yeah it's really hard to get at is is this the full truth mm-hmm. you know uh, of the situation and would that be as compelling <laughs> if, it, yeah. if, if it isn't you know um yeah definitely so uh, let's talk about <laughs> how do we talk about this um any god maybe can we maybe we'll go into like my categories and talk about like yeah what's the best and worst examples of these things sure perfect so uh biographical um for instance Mm -hmm. i had you see queen of versailles Mm -hmm. which you watched i did watch i loved queen of versailles yeah I and watched that just before I watched The Choice also, which made The Choice much exactly. more interesting. <laughs> Perfect. That's how I wanted it to be. Yeah. Because um, Queen of Versailles is about a real estate mogul who mm-hmm. is ridiculously wealthy, has has had multiple wives, and is uh, and living the lap of luxury. 
But then the most amazing thing happens is just when they're right after the filmmakers hop on board is the housing crisis. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't, they didn't predict that. And it becomes so much more fascinating than, oh, here's a rich guy building a really big house. And it basically gives you such amazing insight into (laughs) Donald Trump and Mm -hmm. his pals because this guy is friends with him, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I very much enjoyed that. Yeah, I think that's a great example of being at the right place at the right time. I think a mm-hmm. lot of documentaries that are really surprisingly successful are because things just aligned. Like, yeah. in that case, that's definitely true. I think The Jinx also is is that, in a way. And also Dear Zachary. Like, I, of the ten documentaries I watched over the last week, Dear Zachary is going to be my the number one, I think. And I'm really, really? sorry I'm going to keep bringing it up, because I know a lot of people haven't seen it and it's hard to talk about it but because I, I loved it I, I didn't I know you didn't I'm just, <laughs> I want to know <laughs> I think it was it was it was all in the style it was done mm-hmm. the style was very unique but also incredibly mm-hmm. frustrating to me the style was this voiceover sort of sped up a bit mm-hmm. and with like a bunch of it was just like the it was the sped up voiceover. It was, I don't know. It just didn't work for me. Okay. It didn't have the same effect that I think it has on most people. Is that it's, you know, horrifying yeah. or whatever. I think that. Well, okay. I watched Dear Zachary, cried a lot, and then the next day I watched Cartel Land, which I think was number one maybe on your list that you had recommended to me. Yeah. And after watching Dear Zachary and the style that was made, I was really disappointed with Cartel Land because it was so straightforward in its portrayal of what was happening. It felt like I was watching an A&E TV show in, like, in comparison specifically to Dear Zachary because I was so blown away with the way Dear Zachary was formatted and it, it was such a, like, a gut punch of, like elements all at the same time in that documentary Mm -hmm. just everything aligned perfectly for me as a viewer and then to go after that the next day and watch just a very normal documentary it was I think it was unfortunate because if I had watched Cartel Land before Dear Zachary I think I would have enjoyed it more I think I had seen Sicario the Emily Blunt movie Mm -hmm. I think I'd seen it pretty very shortly before seeing Cartel Land and to me, they had the same level of impact in terms of excitement and narrative. And and they sort of both came to very similar conclusions. But I just found Cartel an incredibly compelling and impressive filmmaking. Mm-hmm. The level of access that they got, but then also just the visuals of it. It was shot so beautifully mm-hmm. for a documentary. That did lose for any film. Oscar. I was very surprised. I went through the list of the Oscar winners of Best Documentary, and I was surprised that I had forgotten Cartel Land was nominated. But then when I was like, oh yeah, of course it was. It was beautiful, and it was a great story. But it lost to 20 Feet from Stardom, which mm. I loved. I loved that documentary. Oh, I but didn't get excited about that one. The, I think this is a different conversation. We'll have this at the end, but I want to talk about how people rank documentaries as well and like oh it's impossible (laughs) it is it is impossible we'll talk about it so go back to your list so biographical um i saw finding vivian mayer 
um, where it she's a she was a photographer, but she was she's actually a nanny who uh-huh. took them like a million photos and just never oh, yes never yeah, did yeah, anything yeah. with them. And so it was a guy who accidentally bought her 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 film in. Mm-hmm like an estate sale or something or an auction or something and he was like who is this woman I have to find out more about her and it's just him trying to figure out who she was and so it was just it's just a fascinating uh portrait of a person of uh that we'll never truly know mm-hmm. but we you try and learn more about and then you have to sort of guess at I th- you know we think she wants these photos to be shown they're gorgeous you know photos and so it's just really fascinating Mm-hmm. Um, how about you? Any any biographies? <sighs> biographies. I mean, do you consider something like Amanda Knox to be a biography, or I think of it as true crime. Okay. Well, then, what about something like First Position, where you're following young dancers? I put that on the list, and then I didn't watch it. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I can't believe you haven't watched it because of your sister's background in dance. First of all, shame on you. <laughs> but... I'll get to it, but it is, yeah. it's like ballet, hardcore ballet, right? It, it uh, Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's about, I think they follow five or six dancers who are all from different, you know, worlds, and they all want they're all competing in the same competition and everything. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it, there's a lot of documentaries that are like that, where it's like, here's everybody and it's all culminating one thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just think it's a really beautiful sort of way to capture that part of their lives and, you know, what goes into being a professional dancer. And I don't know, I, I don't know if biographical documentaries are my favorite because, yeah. as we were saying, it's hard to know if they're entirely accurate. It's the same with movies that are biopics. Like, mm-hmm. Straight out of Compton glosses over, you know, abuse against women. Is it still a valid right. biopic? Like, in my mind, I would take a biographical documentary over a biopic ten times out of ten. Yes. Because they are always better. Like, yeah. I watched the Harvey Milk documentary, and then Milk came out, and I watched that, and I thought, what a waste of time. They already yeah. did that story well you know I think oftentimes a documentary is the best way to tell that story and Mm -hmm. like you know we we watched concussion and then we also watched the documentary about that one yeah and it made you like there were there was some value in concussion they they could do some things that it to really drive the point home that a documentary couldn't really um but other than that like it was, again, completely unnecessary. You know, mm-hmm. I think just 99% of biopics just do a documentary instead. I don't care if you want to win an Oscar or not. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't need to see The Misunderstood Genius or whatever. I'd much rather see, tell me the social and political context of this person's life, you know, of what they're doing and why it's so impressive or why it's so interesting or whatever. Because biopics just can't really do that the way documentaries can that's very true and so i i i would think for so many stories you know like i wondered with spotlight like love that movie great movie would i have loved it just as much if it was a well-done documentary probably probably yeah you know like there are certain stories where it's like yeah that is a fascinating true life story let me see the documentary about it you know Mm -hmm. like i don't really need to see it done you know well i think at the end of the day, it's just easier to make a feature film rather than a documentary because part of the 
thing about making a documentary is you have to be super duper duper accurate <laughs> and really fair. And if you're not, you're going to get blown out of the water. Like you will not recover as a filmmaker if you aren't portraying your subject accurately, I would say. And I think there is a huge market out there for documentaries that are not real documentaries, you know, like where they're talking about trutherism or, you know, there's, there's definitely a market. If you go on Amazon prime and look through their documentary selection, where there are things about aliens and crop circles and mm-hmm. stuff like that, you're just like, all right, well, this is a different category. John Benet Ramsey. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so ashamed that I watched that. <laughs> Anyway, so I think at the at the end of the whole thinking about a subject situation, a lot of times people are going to say, let's just sell the rights and let a huge Hollywood yeah. producer make the movie because you'll get more money, you'll get more acclaim. Spotlight won the Oscar. Right. Documentary Spotlight might not have won the Oscar. Probably wouldn't have. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, it's just... It's money at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I think it's really been underscored by what, you know, we were talking about. We're probably, we're going to have an entire podcast about this, but Christine Mm -hmm. and Kate plays Christine. So this is something neither one of us had ever heard of before, but there's two movies coming out this year. One is a, one is like a biopic about a woman named Christine. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other one is a documentary about a person playing Christine. Mm Mm-hmm for the documentary or whatever and basically we've read these reviews that say once you've seen the documentary the biopic feels like a complete waste of time (laughs) you know it feels like a pale imitation and it it feels like it doesn't challenge us the way the documentary does and I think that's so true you know you're not because it's just showing a person's life you're not showing the context Mm mm-hmm And I think that examination is so much more worthwhile than just seeing, you know. I do want to reserve judgment on both of those movies until they come out. Because from what I've read, the documentary Kate Plays Christine is not really a documentary about the woman, Christine. It's more about the us, the viewers, being obsessed with Christine, Mm -hmm. the real woman, and what this woman who is an actor has to go through in order to mentally understand this woman. And right. And that you'll end, never truly understand Right. And this it's woman. gross. Like, humans are gross, gross for wanting to know. That we want to know. And then, so yeah. then when you see a biopic where they do that... Yeah, you're like, I feel gross. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> so, I feel gross, and it feels like you're making... You're just jumping Sensationalizing a story. Yeah. You know, you're guessing at what she would be like and her motivations and stuff. It's yeah. all guesswork. Yeah, I feel like after we see that... I mean, I'm seeing Christine next week. That's at the Philadelphia Film Festival. But Mm. Kate Plays Christine isn't coming out for a while. And I feel like already I feel bad about it, seeing Christine. Like, I kind of don't want to. (laughs) I don't see why you have to, honestly. I'd rather watch the documentary. Yeah. I don't know. Well, okay, what's your next uh, category? Uh, Let's get into sports, because that was the most recent um, stuff I watched. Basically every 30 for 30 that I've seen, yeah, I would recommend. Yeah, <laughs> every one of these I have written down is a 30 for 30, except for T-Rex, which was about Clarissa Shields, the oh, boxer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I have not seen, but kept popping up as almost always number one on best documentary lists, is Hoop Dreams. Um, that's a documentary? Which, oh. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert <laughs> said it was the best movie of 1994, period. 
and it wasn't nominated for an Oscar. I, I, okay, first of all, everybody should go to the Wikipedia page and look up, like, the whole voting process for documentaries at the Oscars, because it's super interesting and so rigged, especially oh. in, a, in a, an election season when people are talking about rigged To quote elections. Donald Trump. To quote Donald Trump. <laughs> the election is rigged when it comes to documentaries at the Oscars. It is unbelievable. And it's better now, obviously, because they had a huge problem with it, specifically in 1994. But they they had such a crazy voting system when they were voting for who should be nominated for Oscars. And what it was at the time of Hoop Dreams coming out was all of the reviewers would be in the same screening for the movie and they all had a tiny little light and they could shine their light at the screen and if the majority of people in the room shined their light at the screen they would turn off the documentary and go to the next one what? and for the screening of hoop dreams they turned it off after 15 minutes what yeah <laughs> well, i guess you know you couldn't mail a bunch of dvds out or or links yeah. to well, after that, they changed it to a system where it was a, you gave it a vote out of 1 to 6 or something like that, or 1 to 10, and they would basically ballot stuff by giving a bunch of documentaries zero, even if they were good or whatever. They would just give them a zero, and then they would give the five documentaries they wanted to be nominated mm. perfect tens. And then, so even if people voted normally like oh this deserves a six out of ten they would not have enough to overcome everybody else voting zero on wow. the documentaries so it's very complicated and all goes into the whole thing about <laughs> it's impossible to rank documentaries yeah yeah <laughs> um but anyway hoop dreams apparently is the best documentary of all time okay well i'll have to watch <laughs> that but yeah um basically when i was thinking what makes a good sports documentary it mm-hmm. was really exemplified by the two the two ones I watched in a row about basically about doping, mm-hmm. um, about runners and doping, and the first one was Marion Jones, Jones Press Pause, yeah. and it was fifty one minutes versus the other one, which was a normal documentary length, like an hour and a half, almost or two hours, mm-hmm. um, which was n- the one you recommended, nine point seven nine asterisk. Yeah, and it was just so obvious <laughs> that one you know, had, if maybe it was a money thing. I, maybe they just, because it was about a woman, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who cares as much? Let's not give them as much money. Mm-hmm. But that one was just a mess to me. It felt cheap and it felt lazy. It felt like they, they didn't start at the beginning of her story. Mm-hmm. And then they, it was like, they started in the middle with no, very little context. And, you know, they didn't, dive that deep into it and then they went back <laughs> and mm-hmm. then they went back forward again and like ending it on a positive note or whatever it's like just start <laughs> just start chronologically yeah. you know it's it's always going to be a po- like the story of it where if you're chronicling the fall of someone and mm-hmm. what happens to them after that you have to show the rise mm-hmm. otherwise the fall is meaningless Right. You know, you can't just tell us Marion Jones was really popular. She was making tons of money. She was, you know, so famous or whatever. You can't just tell us that. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have to tell us how we got there and give us more examples. Like it was just a mess. And then I watched, you know, the other one about doping mm-hmm. where 
fascinating, you know, and it starts it off yeah. and it tells, it starts chronologically, you know, goes through the whole story and it felt like it had real twists, especially at the end where you, you spend all this time with these people denying that they were ever doping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then at the end, you're like, oh, of course they were doping. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was. And to see like Carl Lewis and it, yeah, so then we're we're gonna have a whole we're gonna have a whole podcast about doping in sports. Um, Are we because of that? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> remember when we came up with those topics? Oh yeah, but no, we didn't we even had, remember like, today we we're doing documentaries. So I know we had like some like drug fueled texting conversations <laughs> this past week where we were just like both on fire with our ideas and there were too many of them to number honestly I can't remember them well before. I typed them all into the google drive so you should check it out it's great. I will I will <laughs> I'll remind myself <laughs> and then I sent um, you that really brilliant facebook message about like disney and song of the south and yeah accepting our past but that's a topic for another day and I what that's a topic for another day oh okay sorry <laughs> <laughs> I replied to that. You saw that, right? Yeah, yeah. I need okay, to reply good. to you. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway. Sports I want to say, okay, about I Hate Christian Leitner, because that was, I watched a couple 30 for 30s this week. They were all great. Yeah. Um, but the best one that I watched this week was I Hate Christian Leitner, which I had heard before on NPR. Is like, everybody, rah, rah, mm-hmm. this is the best. It's true. It was so well done. And I think what that Marion Jones documentary was trying to do was... It was trying to be, I feel like I just want to say, be hip in the way it was portraying the story. And I think that I Hate Christian Leitner did it, and Marion Jones' documentary did not. In that Christian Leitner's story was not told, you know, as a chronological, here's one thread thing. Mm -hmm. It was told in, like, a five-pronged approach, but then at the same time, they were going through, chronologically, his record at the school as a basketball player so you did have the chronological element but you also had them sort of diving off into these other little avenues that were very relevant to the story and that is the way you have to do it if you're going to do something like that and they put him in context right they put him in social historical context or whatever they talked about they examined what are the possible reasons why we hate this guy, you know, mm-hmm. and they did, and they branched off into the, all of these possible social reasons that contributed to mm-hmm. it. And so it was this great examination of, it's not just, here's a sports star with a rise or fall, or, you know, right. he, with a career, it's, why do we culturally feel this way about this sports star, mm-hmm. you know, which is always going to be more fascinating. And Rob Lowe was the narrator, so it was great. <laughs> You love Rob Lowe. <laughs> I do love Rob Lowe. <laughs> I don't. Uh, okay, what's next on your list? <laughs> um, we, we, we had a whole episode about true crime, so I don't think we really need to get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess there's the social, there's slash investigatory slash expose, covers a whole lot of stuff. So, okay, fun. so let's say documentaries that pick a social thing or a you know law or a phenomenon or something and they examine that Mm -hmm. so like the hunting ground yes sexual assault on campuses right or u.s college 13th which you watched right i have not watched it oh i know i know (laughs) (laughs) you will you will um which talks about the 13th amendment Mm-hmm. And uh, I watched How to Survive a Plague, which talks about the AIDS crisis in the 80s mm-hmm. um, and, and the activists. going clear, the Scientology documentary on HBO? Sure, that, yeah. That's and, there, like, the mask you live in, talking about toxic masculinity. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Poverty Inc. That was a really great one that I watched where they where it was examining how we like charity and how we think of charity in the world and what works and what doesn't and mm-hmm. how problematic it can be. I so, also think the TV show Adam Ruins Everything also fits yeah, in there. Yeah, definitely. And then Misrepresentation, uh, Blackfish. Oh, um, so good. Yeah, I, like those. I feel like those are the ones that get talked about the most probably and and mm-hmm. those are the ones that really you walk away thinking like well you've just changed everything I thought I knew about blank <laughs> yeah I, that's very true and I wonder oh god it's so hard because you know going in that these filmmakers are not thinking like I'm gonna make a documentary that makes you think completely differently about orcas you know <laughs> do they think that they can't I think, think so you can't I mean know. why else would you try to make a documentary I guess. If you don't want to learn anything. (laughs) I think it's just interesting because the best examples of this category are so effective that it seems impossible when going into it that they know, like, it has to, I think the story has to drive you and sometimes the story is so good that it level, it raises the level of the documentary so high. Yeah. Specifically, I'm thinking about Blackfish because... That that could have been just another documentary, like, you know, we need to treat animals better, blah, blah, blah. Like, um, what was the one? The the blue, the something blue. The one that's on Netflix as well. It's about the ocean. It could have been another one. Mission Blue. Sorry. <laughs> it's um, It focuses on a smithy, and it's great. Uh, it's a very interesting documentary, but it's not at the level of Blackfish, because I think Blackfish was... Not only was it so engaging as a viewer where you're like you as a viewer of these animals have really been a detriment to their life but also it was promoted in such a fascinating way that a lot of documentaries aren't Mm. and I think a lot of documentaries across the board when they're promoted right make a difference so Mm -hmm. An Inconvenient Truth, Blackfish, The Jinx, Mm -hmm. anything that has a platform where people actually talk about it and engage with it yeah it's going it's going to be more successful as a documentary right and when that one ends up as an indictment of a system it examines this system in place and it says this is deeply wrong and then there's sort of a call to action at the end where mm-hmm. oh now we just won't go to SeaWorld. we won't support SeaWorld. Yeah. you know i watched a walmart documentary that did the same thing i don't necessarily recommend it it wasn't the it wasn't the most amazing documentary but those sorts of ones are, are can be really powerful and I feel like the 13th when you watch that it's it, it's making an argument it's making mm-hmm. a very clear argument mm-hmm. it's taking all these people these all these historians all this stuff they're putting this argument together and they're clearly saying this is an indictment of the system we're connecting these dots so you can too the only problem I have with that is that there's no call to action at the end it sort of makes you feel like okay i'm i'm really upset i see this for what it is now please what can i do and there's i mean there is things you can do but there's mm-hmm. nothing at the end of that documentary that says here's what you can do now you yeah know? is that um documentary fed up is that the one that i'm thinking of where at the about end sugar? they tell you about sugar yeah. consumption that has a really good call to action at the end which is like here it gives you like steps like these mm-hmm. are the steps to f- start fixing your life and it's like all right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i needed that <laughs> but yeah i think a lot 
Ooh, it's hard because you don't want to force feed your audience an like a answer. You don't want right. to say you don't want to present the question and then be like, and now here's the answer. <laughs> but you do want them to know what to do next. It's it's difficult. Yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. The documentaries, like for me, um, Queen of Versailles and Jesus Camp are very similar in my mind because it's just it feels like they're just documenting something, mm-hmm. and the subjects of that documentation think obviously this is positive because Mm -hmm. look at my life I'm making all the right choices and then the documentary comes out people see it and they're horrified and then they immediately think I need to sue these filmmakers (laughs) because they made me look bad Mm -hmm. but you know at the time they're thinking I look amazing you know and it's so fascinating when a documentary can do that when it can just literally just point a camera at something and have people go, oh my god, <laughs> you know, that's what's going on here? Well, an offshoot of this, I want to talk about filmmaker's responsibility as a documentarian. Do you think there's a point in these documentaries, specifically, I'm talking about ones where it's like human human trafficking or like mm-hmm. hot girls wanted or something like, mm-hmm. like that, where the documentarian has has to step in and alter the events or is it their job they have to stay out of those events because if you're looking at like the jinx he steps in and he makes a very real difference at the end of that documentary by saying we have to pursue him you Mm -hmm. know but but at the same time he sat on that information until it aired true you know because that would be more dramatic you know that's true so you can have the best intentions in the world, but at the end of the day, you're you're making, you're trying to make compelling art for people That's to watch. True. It's so complicated because I feel like documentarians are, as a whole, more genuine filmmakers and really have a mission more so than like normal directors, feature film directors. But at the same time, I think that they're, I wish sometimes that they would put people first or animals first, blackfish. <laughs> rather than the finished product. Well, the know? question is, is is just documenting it more valuable than saving one whale or whatever, you know? True. Like, if intervening means that you can't finish your documentary because you've been arrested or whatever mm-hmm. for interfering, then people wouldn't, would, wouldn't stop going to SeaWorld or whatever, you know? The, that is true. Putting the documentary out there, the idea is this will help solve the problem that we're highlighting you know Mm -hmm. so if you intervene and you mess with the subject then it's not going to have the same impact on people Mm -hmm. you know so if your goal is to you know find justice or whatever you interfering will interfere (laughs) with justice yeah yeah that's a good point okay it's just it feels kind of gross to be to Okay, specifically this is what happened. So I was on Imager, and there's a guy that is trying to get funding for a documentary he's making. He's already started making it, and it's about women in Vietnam and Thailand that are stolen and taken to China to be brides. Uh And he has some footage already that he's put up online, and it's of a woman being stolen by, like, five men. And somebody commented and said, why didn't you step in and prevent her from being kidnapped, basically, and taken to a different country? Mm-hmm. And he says basically what you're saying, which is, like, 
I, I can't take on five men. I have to, this is the story I'm documenting. Like, this is, it's for the greater good and stuff. But in all superhero stories, it's like, what is the greater good? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because is, by documenting one, mm-hmm. will that, sh- does that shed light on an entire problem that we can systematically try to attack and solve? Or yeah. are you a vigilante who sees one thing happening, you stop the one thing, yeah. and then what? What's the next step from there? Are you going to stay there and be a vigilante, you know, in <laughs> Thailand or whatever? You're going to keep, every time you see this, you're going to stop it and you're not going to die somehow? Yeah. You know, it just, as, as much as we'd all love to step in in all these situations, mm-hmm. what's, what's the positive outcome? You know, besides you help that one person once, or that one instance, you know, you change that somehow. Does that actually solve the structural issue at hand? Mm. You it know? is a gamble. No matter what choice you make, I guess it's a gamble. Yeah, and you just have to figure out what your what your role is and yeah. what your value is. And if your value is documenting it for the world to see, then don't screw that up, is my, my mm. opinion. Yeah. All right, what's next on your list? Uh, I mean, that was basically, and then, like, historical which it also mm. overlapped with like true crime a lot yeah. you know uh central park five welcome yeah, I was to just thinking about that one. um shenandoah um hmm cartel land yeah. maybe no yeah there's a lot there's a lot of um showa the holocaust one that's historical yeah there's a disproportionate amount of nazi world war ii holocaust documentaries out there I mean, there's a whole channel that's the military channel, and mm-hmm. all they play is military documentaries all day. My dad watches mm-hmm. it. It's either that mm-hmm. or HGTV, and I was at his house yesterday, and he was watching one that was narrated by Rob Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Anyway, yeah, there. It, I, it's hard because there's a lot of road that's already been trod on in all these you know documentaries. Like, people always go back to the same ch- subjects, and... I feel like at some point you have to be like, get a new idea, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's so much, especially with historical documentaries, there's so much that we have, like literally drunk history Mm -hmm. is a really good example of untold stories of history, you know, of these little known stories that we don't know because history is told a certain way, you know. Mm. I'm so glad you brought up drunk history. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that ultimately has value like so there's a documentary called crimes in the heartland where they talk about the uh massacre in tulsa in the Mm early 1900s and it's basically it talks about how this story in the past 100 years has the description of it has totally changed and the way it's written in history books doesn't accurately represent what happened and Hmm. here's the reasons why you know and like they rewrite this to make it seem less like a massacre and more like a race riot or whatever. Right. And so that, to me, I I could watch a million of those historical documentaries where it says, you know this one thing that you maybe haven't heard about that much for some reason, like, why don't we know more about that? Mm -hmm. Um, Let's examine that and then let's examine why it's been forgotten, you know, by history or why it's been just a footnote. You know, when it's really an incredibly important event. I wonder if historical documentaries suffer the same problem as feature films that are set in the past, which is 
there is a clock on them and it's at some point you lose first person accounts you don't have footage you don't have you know anything to back you up and you have to guess and that leads to it becoming less factual less reliable i wonder if that's why they're not particularly strong nowadays historical documentaries right because it's so much more powerful if you can show footage of that right. time. And anything within the last 30 years or so, you know, 40 years, you can have significant footage. Like that, How to Survive a Plague, about the AIDS crisis. Because there was one of the activists in the group was also a film historian and a documentarian, he, everything was documented on film. Mm-hmm. So you could see everything that they were talking about. When they were telling a story, oh, here's the footage of that meeting where that person got upset, you know, right. sort of a thing. And so, yeah, it made it that much more compelling. That It mm-hmm. wasn't just, let me tell you about this, and here's a drawing of how it could have gone down, you know? Yeah. Like, maybe that's why Hamilton is so... <laughs> is, you know, like, because it's not, oh, you know, here's what they looked like in black and white, you know, mm-hmm. in drawings. And, you know, it's like, if you can show someone how they actually lived it's so much mm-hmm. more compelling so yeah i think it yeah. is it's really tricky to do documentaries uh historical ones about something you don't have a lot of film or or pictures yeah. of yeah i don't know i just i also think it's very hard to watch documentaries sometimes i think that's also a problem that filmmakers face it's just like people don't want to be sad all the time or feel like they're bad people because yeah. they go to Walmart or whatever. Right. So I, I think it's unfortunate that we don't place as much merit in documentaries, I think, as we should, because it does feel like a slog to watch them. Like, that's why I haven't gotten through everyone on my Netflix queue, because it's hard. Yeah, I mean... But it also, that could be a positive for documentaries in the sense that they make you feel something. And, you know, a good documentary makes you feel something. And Mm -hmm. I would take a good documentary any day over a trip to a museum. um, (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, over reading a really lengthy article or a book Mm. about that subject. Because I think it's a really compelling way to tell a story and to relay an event that I think... Yeah, it should be valued more. And yeah, it is. it can feel like a chore to sit down and be like, okay, we're going to be sad now. We know that. Yeah. We know we're going to be sad at this. But it feels the same way about most Oscar-nominated movies, that is I would say. You know, those feel like a chore to me. Um, and I just think a well-done documentary, at the end, you never regret seeing it. You, mm-hmm. n- you never feel like it was a waste of your time. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so well, I I, I have, very much enjoyed them. Do you have any on your list that are waiting for you? Like any that you? Oh, I got a bunch. Yeah, how, or which ones are at the top of your list that you still want to see? Um, the one I remember seeing was Witness is on there, which is about um, it's it's basically where we came up with the idea of like the bystander effect, where it was Kitty Genovese, I think is how you say her last name, where she was. Uh, attacked and raped in in this apartment complex in like the courtyard where ever and then apparently dozens of people saw it happen didn't call mm-hmm. the police because they thought someone else already called the police right right and they yeah and so i'm interested to see that um 
That was an SVU episode last season. <laughs> I'm, I think it was like every season they have something like that. But there was specifically one where a woman was attacked in the courtyard and nobody called. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's what you teach in like forensic textbooks, is mm-hmm. that story, and psychology yeah. textbooks. Um, so, but it's apparently really good. So mm-hmm. I, there's a number, I'm sure, and, and the ones that you've recommended that I haven't seen yet. Yeah. One on my list, which nobody ever recommends, but I remember when it came out, NPR was all over it, is called Tim's Vermeer, and it's about a man who wants to become, wants to learn how to paint like Vermeer, his name is Tim, and over the course of learning to paint, there's some magical discovery that is, they don't tell you because it's, you have to watch the documentary to find (laughs) out, so, so that's the one, I haven't found it, I, I don't, it's not on Netflix, but I'll have to find it and give it a try, because I remember sort of being like, I could watch that, and also, it's not a sad one, so. Well, here's one that's not sad that I had on my list for probably a year or two, and then just Mm -hmm. took off because I was like, I'm not going to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think you've seen it. Psalm? Psalm. Oh, Psalm, yes. Yeah. About uh, wine tasting. Yeah. So, should I bother? It is Knowing what I know about wine tasting being bullshit. (laughs) It will, it will just... What's the word? Uh, it will support everything you already know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> However, it, it, it does specifically follow a couple gentlemen. And it's very interesting. I, the most interesting part of it for me was how, their support systems. Okay. And how they team up to, to tackle the test together and their wives and how their wives support them. And it's very interesting. So... It is one I would watch while, like, doing laundry, maybe, but <laughs> it, is, it is, I still found it very interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so as long as it's, like, not going to infuriate me where I think, you're, everything is pointless, what that you're doing. No, As long I as I won't be so. yelling at the TV the whole time. No, I don't think you'll be yelling. It's okay. more about them than how the thing is bullshit. <laughs> I think. It's more people-driven. Okay. Yeah. Um... Well, should we do- should we recommend a documentary to our listeners, or did we basically do that already um, by our discussion? Let's like pick out like our top collectively our top like three between the two of us. Okay. Okay. Um, Dear Zachary is on my list. <laughs> People love uh, that. Um, ooh, I have a question before yeah. we do this. One that I don't know how to classify in your system is Room 237, the documentary about The Shining. To me, it's like a behind-the-scenes making of. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That I was would on say... a lot of top ten lists, and I couldn't believe it. It yeah. is interesting, though. Yeah. It was, but was it good? It's interesting. It is nothing to look at, honestly, because the whole thing is they reshow you the same scenes over and over and over again, and they they have different film critics or historians say like this is a reference to the genocide of American Indians and just people giving their opinions. It's fascinating because it's like basically a description of fandom and how people can read anything into anything. <laughs> and I loved I loved it because of that, but it's hard to watch because you're just watching the same bits of The Shining over and over again. (laughs) Yeah, and Um, how do you feel about The Shining? It's just a side note. We we watched The Shining in a film course I took in when I was abroad in Ireland the first time, and 
it was like the scariest movie I had seen to that date. What? And I, I don't like scary movies, and I, I it's mean, it's not was, even that scary. I know. I I thought it was fine. It was interesting in the context I watched it in, which is we did a film critique on it. Um, but Stanley Kubrick is not my favorite. I thought it. I just people sold this to me as like, get ready to be really scared and really unnerved or whatever and I walked away being like I was bored that was more than (laughs) anything I was bored by that movie yeah it's not my favorite um I would say the I would say the 13th okay it's a documentary it's like a must watch it's a pressing documentary an issue of our time sort of a thing now we should agree on one for our our final recommendation hmm I kind of want to say Amanda Knox just because it's most recent but it is good. Maybe I don't know. Mm, you should see Poverty Inc. Um, the Hunting Ground made definitely made a mark on me. Queen, Queen of, of Versailles. Versailles. Too. Yeah, I would say the Queen of Versailles. I would say Queen of Versailles. I, honestly, I kind of want to watch it again. Yeah, it's very topical at this moment as yeah. well, considering the election. Um, and also, it's interesting to Google what happened after. The documentary came yeah. out. Yeah. Which is what something I do with every documentary, honestly, that's very that's very personal about people. I always look up like what happened next. Mm-hmm. And this is one that does not disappoint. So Yeah. God, it's yeah. Well do you have a separate recommendation no. that is not documentaries? <laughs> Wait. We did I did, right? Yeah, you had oh, you you saw a movie last week that you Oh, thank you for reminding me. Honestly, <laughs> I was not going to remember this at all. Um, I went to the movies accidentally. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> so my dad was in town for like two days for a conference, and it was out in Reston, which is by the Dulles Airport, which is 45 minutes away uh-huh. on a good day, basically, uh, without traffic. And so I was going to meet him for dinner, and I misread his text because I had just woken up, and the amount of times I've done this where I've misread a text because I just woke up and I've driven (laughs) maybe to the wrong state maybe not Um, I won't confirm or deny but anyway so (laughs) I thought it was that day so I was like I'll get out there really early and go see a movie Mm -hmm. and then I'll be out there to to meet him and then Mm -hmm. I text him after I see the movie and he's like I think you misunderstood it's tomorrow oh (laughs) anyway so that movie I saw was Stork's yeah. And the animated movie. <laughs> is and it by the people that did Despicable Me? Yes? I don't know. Maybe? Okay. I'll have to look. I would have it's to not, check. It's not Disney Pixar. No. Right, okay. And mm-hmm. it's Andy Samberg and mm-hmm. Key and Peele are in it as wolves. <laughs> it's just so fun. Like, I laughed so much and so loudly at some points. And mm-hmm. at the end, it has this ultimately, like, really beautiful message about family and found family and all that stuff, oh. and I love that. But it was just so funny and enjoyable, and it was just, there were, so Key and Peele played these wolves, and there was, like, uh-huh. a whole wolf pack, and they're trying to get away from them, and every time they're getting away, the wolves go, wolf pack, form of airplane! <laughs> and then all the wolves join together and make, like, an airplane. And they're like, I didn't know wolves could do that. <laughs> this is 
so and they just kept doing that with like various objects and it was just i don't know like it killed me <laughs> i'm glad you had a good time by yourself uh, was anybody in the theater with you a mom and her daughter were in the theater oh, and i was laughing for the for the three of us <laughs> <laughs> adorable well my recommendation was recommended to be by one of our listeners, Jackie, and she is the one that originally recommended RuPaul's Drag Race to me, and so she this week was like, you should watch Skin Wars. There's this episode that has the drag queens in it, and I was like, alright, I'll watch that. So I watched one episode of Skin Wars, which is mm-hmm. a Game Show Network show about body painting, mm-hmm. and it's basically the same format as Drag Race or Project Runway or whatever, um, Top Chef, but it is so watchable. <laughs> It is. I watched three seasons in three days. Jesus. <laughs> it, there's only ten episodes a season. Okay. All three, all three are on Netflix. They're 40 minutes each, whatever. It was great. RuPaul is one of the judges. The host, like the Tim Gunn of the show, is Rebecca Romaine. She's beautiful in every episode. There's a secret lesbian in one of the seasons. Oh, there. I know. Oh, good. Okay. I've never seen it, but I know that. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Wow. You're uh, after Ellen... That's how it works. (laughs) They cover everything. Anyway, she's great. Um, There are so many great inspiring stories. There's a lot of really inventive challenges, which you think they would run out of stuff after a while, but they definitely don't. Wow. I I started with the drag episode just because it was something I was really into, but I would just recommend starting at the beginning and watching it. It was so great. (laughs) I'm really sad there's not more for me to watch. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah. So, that's that. Great. I wish I had a documentary pun. I should have Googled that. Oh. Yeah. Well, now it's a letdown that we don't have one. Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 